Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop here with the latest edition of our 2021 CFL season deep dive series, talking all things Montreal Alouettes today. I've got another great guest here with me again to break it all down, but before we get into all that, I do, of course, want to mention that we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And as always, we also want to acknowledge that this episode of the podcast is brought to you from Treaty 1 territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Ojibwe, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Now, let's bring in our esteemed guest for the evening. He's one of the hosts of the Alouette's Flight Deck podcast over in Montreal. It's the great Tim Capper. Tim, welcome to the show. How are you doing this evening? I'm good. Wow. I, I'm esteemed. And I'm the great. Wow. Oh, I'm I'm happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely well earned, of course. Uh, as I mentioned, you cover the Montreal Alouettes pretty regularly over on the Alouettes Flight Deck podcast. Uh, but we're going to get into talking about everything to do with the Alouettes 2021 season today. And uh, we'll, maybe if we have time at the end, we'll get into some off-season stuff. But of course, before we begin, I with that, I do always with our guests like to get into uh, talking a little bit about uh, how you first got into the CFL. Uh, I got into this. Wow. I actually only got into the CFL really when I moved back to Canada from the United States back in the, the late 90s. Um, I, I've always loved football. I started off uh, really as watching the, the niche sports, which really, I guess we can call the CFL. It is a niche sport in itself because it's a totally different game in the U.S. But I was a big follower of the, of the now defunct arena football league. So, and it's, um, Montreal didn't have a team really at the time. I followed Baltimore and stuff like that, kind of, sort of. And then we, then coming back up here when I did, the team announced that they were going to be coming back. Uh, I decided, Hey, um, you know, let's go ahead. I, I wanted to do it. I said, I was going to get season tickets for the season for the, for the owls. And sure enough, and not, not 96, 97, I got them and I've been a season ticket holder ever since. So it's, um, I haven't been watching CFL all my life, but you know, as a true Canadian, I really needed to make sure that I did, uh, I had to follow it a little bit. So, <laughs> and uh, I, th I think it's safe to say at this point, it's turned uh, to more than just a little bit, of course, getting involved oh, yeah. in the podcasting gig yeah. as well. Uh, talk a little bit. How did you uh, get involved with the Alouette's uh, Flight Deck? I'm going to give all props to my co host, uh, Cliffy D. Pine, because Cliff, Cliff and I knew each other a little bit from, we were casual acquaintances from, from the games, going to the games over at Personal Molson and stuff like that. And then, you know, Cliff came up with the idea with, you know, do, do you want to do a, a, an Alouette's podcast? And I was very receptive to the idea. I mean, I do, I have been doing another uh, pod, sports podcast on the Arena Football League uh, at the time for almost, uh, it was like 15, 16 years that I've been doing it. So I was very well versed in the, in the podcast genre. So I said, you know what? Hey, why not? Uh, I don't mind starting at the bottom once again, because, you know, unlike the AFL, this, it is a team, really a team based sport as per, you know, it wasn't a, uh, a podcast rather. And it really wasn't a, uh, a CFL centric podcast, like my AFL one was, but I'll give all props to him, man, because from there, we've been just going on for, uh, uh, we're coming up on our seventh broadcast season and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't envision doing the podcast with anybody else. So 
Right on, right on. The great dynamic duo over there in Montreal, covering everything Alouettes uh, pretty regularly, uh, of course, weekly throughout the season. And mm-hmm. I believe you're still continuing throughout the offseason uh, here and there, correct? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're trying to get into a regular schedule where we'll usually have our, um, you know, our, our season finale, usually in December, I think, like everybody else does, uh, when you're team-centric. Um, and we try to do some in the off season, usually beginning in February and then going into the draft. And then from there, it's usually regular shows, uh, one or two shows uh, leading up to uh, leading up to training camp and stuff like that. And then it's straight on through to the end of the Grey Cup, you know, whether we make it or not. Right on, right on. So let's get into talking about the 2021 season. Of course, we have to start with the preseason expectations for the team. I'll start. I'll give you the outsider. Uh, perspective on what I saw from the Alouettes coming to the year. You tell me if this is a fair outside assessment or not. I, I saw the team as one that seemed like it was it was going to be fairly well-rounded, uh, you know, finally in recent years, some stability at head coach, stability at quarterback, you know, Vernon Adams Jr., a heck of a season in 2019. A lot of people excited to see what he could follow that up with the 2021. Thought the offensive line, you know, was pretty steady from the season before. Uh, defensively, they brought a number of good pieces. And I was high on the Alouettes coming into the year myself. Um, I did, I think, though, still have them, even despite that, had them finishing third in the East Division, uh, mostly because, well, everybody picked the Ticats uh, to be near the top. Uh, I was one of the few people who had Toronto actually being uh, a top team coming into this season. Uh, But kind of one of those teams where, didn't really jump off the page as a top team in the league necessarily preseason, but surely seemed like one that could hold its own. Yeah. And, and for myself, I mean, I didn't have any delusions of grandeur either about the Alouettes and how they were going to do in 2021. You know, I had picked them actually second to the Tiger Cats, but I think like everybody else in the CFL, it really was hard to gauge on what the team was going to do. You know, everybody had to deal with COVID and some because no training camp. So it was really tough for us to really gauge the team. And it's just based off, as I joked with, uh, with uh, Cliff, I said, you really can't base anything on paper, especially this season, because paper burns. You really, you know, you, you couldn't, you really couldn't go ahead and base something on that. But it, I was happy with what was coming, with what I was seeing. Uh, Vernon Adams, even though people were, were, were like, well, you know, he's going into his, his sophomore season as a, as a starter. I was like, well, wait a minute. You had others in the league which were going into their second year also as a starter, you know, Cody Fajardo, as an example, being one of them. doesn't mean that he wasn't going to do that well. Um, the It's funny, the roster that the Alouettes had from 2020, what, what would have been our roster, to 2021 was totally different. I mean, especially at running back for the Alouettes. It was nice to get William Stanbeck back. Um as we saw just as Pat, I know, no, you know, spoilers, but <laughs> um, can, it, can it be spoilers if it's about something that's already happened? Yeah, I know, I, mean, I, I know, but but I mean, if you haven't followed or if you've just woken up from a coma, I mean, spoilers. Um, <laughs> it's you know, it was nice to get him back. I don't know how well we would have done if, it, if we had had others like we had, but you know, uh, we had uh, Sutton and we had um, Wilder. He was going to be our starter too, but you know, then the whole thing's changed and 2021 came around and, 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 you know, Stambic came back and I was like, you know what? Okay. I think we have a better chance with having them as a running back. I, I knew the, based on what happened in 20, 2019, 
that are, if there weren't any major changes, the O-line was going to be great. I've always been high on our defense. Uh, some, it's just a matter of the, the pieces that we were able to get. Alouettes that were that left in free agency 20, 2020 came back in 2021 without, after, you know, without playing a game in another city. I was pretty happy. I was pretty happy with, with, uh, with how they were, how they looked on paper, but you know, obviously as no preseason, it was really tough to gauge. So then we get into the season itself. Now, uh, overall, uh, record on the season, a seven and seven finish split down the middle third place in the East division. Uh, we're going to break it into kind of, as we do, you know, three chunks here, first four games or so, uh, middle six games and then final four games there. I think will give us a nice kind of sections of the season to talk about. Uh, but it starts off the outlets get the week one by. So not only do you have to wait, uh, what was it? 600 and something days for another yeah. CFL game. You got to wait an extra week. Um, Given that there was no preseason, do you actually like the first week by there or uh, are you not a fan of it? Well, you know, we were, you know, we were on the the podcast leading up to that second week for the guys over the Surf District. And I, I think I think I mentioned to them that I think we actually had we didn't get the raw end of the deal because we actually had film on Edmonton, which was the plus for us in week one rather than Edmonton didn't have anything on us. So I, I, I did, you know, I hate having a, a week one by in normal seasons. I think the Alouettes have had, if I remember correctly, they've had a maybe two in the past 15 years to start off the season, but I, I was okay with it because I think it helped us. It, it, and again, it gave us, it gave us some, some, some footage and some film on Edmonton. So I think it helped us. So I was okay with it this year. So <laughs> ask me to ask me a couple of years if we have it again and I'll, I'll let you know then <laughs> sounds good um that first game of the year a 30 to 13 win over the Edmonton Elks uh you know the Elks just coming off that week one loss to Ottawa which shocked a lot of people um you know their offense being highly touted coming into the year I thought for Montreal this was a really well-rounded game in all three facets that first game of the season here I think you had a big uh, you know, you had a big return by Mario Alford for a touchdown mm -hmm. in that one. You get some help from there. Offensively, pretty even, you know, passing, running game, both contributing nicely there. Defense really shutting down that Elks offense. Uh, was this about as complete of a game as you you could see to have be your season opener? Oh, I, I think so, too. And obviously, don't forget Jake Winnicky's uh, touchdown catch, which I think ended up being TSN's number one of the year, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh the Alouettes, considering what they had gone through and what they had done in the offseason, and I don't know if, if many people knew this or not, I think one of the pluses, which I should have mentioned when we're talking about the what we saw the team, is that you know many people may not remember or know that Vernon Adams invited his wide receivers to do a, a, an unofficial mini camp in Seattle, and he paid for he paid for everybody to come and put everybody up, so he wow. was able to have his own little you know, is an unofficial, official, eh, I'll take off the official word, unofficial OTAs type of thing. So, and a mini preseason. So it, it kind of worked out um, at least, at least as it seemed to be in week one, I think the, but again, it wasn't, you really couldn't gauge anything because if you think about it, like any team in the CFL, usually you're used to having two preseason games. This was the Alouette's first preseason game. 
in, in essence, even though it counted in the regular season. So it was really tough to gauge. Uh, it was nice to get the win, obviously, but it was still tough to gauge on how good this team actually could be or how, you know, as we know, anything could fall, fall apart at, uh, at a moment's notice. So. Now, those first four games of the year are kind of a, an up and down tail. I mean, you have that win over Edmonton in week two, then the next week, week three, some dramatics there, I think. I know a, a late game finish there. They fall to the Stampeders 28-22. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Alouette's getting to the goal line right at the end of the game, but coming just short. Yeah, uh, just short and pro- proven by replay that, yeah, uh, unfortunately, Gino did not get in. Yeah, very close on that one. Of course, uh, a lot in that game to do with the the first start of Jake Mayer in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Then you get week four against Hamilton, which, you know, Hamilton's reeling, I, I think, 0-2 to start the season coming into that point. And a lot of people picking the Owlets as favorites. That one definitely not going as planned, 27-10 there. And then right next week, bouncing back and putting up 51 points in a 51-29 win over Ottawa. What was kind of your overall takeaways from the that first segment of games this season? Well, I, I think what kind of frustrated me and, and probably Alouette's fans is that if you look back at 2019, the Alouettes sort of had had a, an entire, they, they, they were going in a pattern for most of the season. And the way that it started off this year uh, in 2021 seemed to be the exact same way where they started off in a pattern, you know, win one, lose two, win one, et cetera. And it's like, how is the season going to go? I think we knew this team was better than a 500 team, but it just seemed within the first four games that something was, uh, maybe what people were saying about VA were correct. Something just seemed to be a little bit off about VA. And it's something that Cliff and I talked about a little bit long, you know, a little bit farther on in the season that it seemed to be that whenever, whenever something's needed to come up, VA, it was either going to be able to, to pull it out in the fourth quarter or he was going to throw a pick. So there was, it was like a, a Jekyll and Hyde, Vernon Adams. And we, unfortunately for Alouette's fans, we didn't know which one was going to show up. Yeah, that seemed to be the common theme, especially early on in the season as well. You know, that going back to that second game there against Calgary, I mean, a 47% completion percentage in that one and a lot mm-hmm. of frustrations. It almost... It seemed like early on in the season, especially, he was really at times trying to force things downfield at times instead of making, you know, the simpler play, which that was something, you know, as as somebody who plays fantasy football drove me nuts all season long was the Mm -hmm. lack of involvement of William Stanback in the passing game, because you have one of the most dynamic players in the CFL there. You would think, you know, quick dump pass them, make them make a move with the ball. Uh, pick you up some yardage there almost seemed like there was a bit of a disconnect there in terms of maybe the play calling or you know the decision making by Vernon Adams early in the season it's true too and I think you know usually I think I think most fans know or, or at least seems to be the the thought that you know the first 15 plays are usually uh, are scripted depending on the situation for the team and it's like I agree with you because it's you have such a guy who is such a a I love the way Stanbeck runs, man. He's just such a beast. But the problem is, as you said, you get to a certain point and they were just, it was like, uh, okay, we had, you know, four first downs in the third quarter. Why wasn't Stanbeck used for any of them? That type of thing. It just seemed that sometimes he would become an afterthought, as you said, and specifically in the second quarter, second half, which I think was really frustrating, but it's, 
for, I, I understand. I guess we, we don't know what Coach Kahari was thinking or what the coaching staff was thinking, but, you know, showed great signs versus Edmonton, the, the almost win versus, versus Calgary. And, you know, basically dominating Ottawa, like who didn't mind you, you know, in, in 2021. But still, uh, it was Edmonton, not it, well Edmonton, but yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, but it was still nice to see you know them get off that snide and, and put up fifty one, which I was happy to be there. I mean, just being you know two hours away from Ottawa, it was nice being able to be there, uh, uh, Labor Day weekend to see them smoke Ottawa. So it was, but it, again, a pattern. This team was a pattern. Winning and losing on a pattern, and again, as I said, you had VA who just seemed to be off. Which, if VA is off, nothing against Matt Schiltz. I love me some Matt Schiltz too. If if VA is off and you're and he's and he's getting paid what he is, you would hope that he would have been a little bit better. Yeah, and you know maybe that game against Ottawa was just what the doctor ordered, so to say, because he kind of breaks out of that early season slump there and goes seventy-eight uh, percent completion percentage, two hundred eighty-eight yards, uh, which is pretty solid. Doesn't hit the three hundred yard mark, but four touchdowns, zero interceptions. That's mm-hmm. kind of the game a lot of people were anticipating because I saw a lot of people, you know, picking him to be one of the top quarterbacks in the CFL this year. You know, an MOP candidate potentially preseason and so uh certainly a good game to round out that that first four there for VA and the Alouettes and uh coming out of the first four weeks uh with matchups against Edmonton Calgary Hamilton and Ottawa two and two uh record coming out of that uh were you satisfied given the matchups or with that record at that point or was it uh did it feel like uh, they left you wanting I, I think, you know, I honestly think that they could easily have been a, a three and one team at that time. Um, you know, what happened in Calgary, you know, VA did what he needed to do, but I mean, sometimes you have to do some things before there's five minutes left in the fourth quarter. So I think all Al's fans, you know, again, we were one win away. If we have gone into the Alouettes have gone into Ottawa before thinking that they are going to totally take them apart, whether it had been the Red Blacks or whether it had been the Renegades, et cetera, et cetera, and just get beat. If everybody remembers the, uh, I'm trying to remember the year, I think it was 2012, where they went into Ottawa, was it 2012? Where they went into Ottawa and just got demolished by the Renegades, just demolished on, on Canada Day weekend. So it's, it, it just, luckily they came out being two and two, should have been three and one, but, Again, it's like two regular season games and two preseason games that early in the season with the shortened schedule. So, Absolutely. And then we get into the middle chunk of the season uh, where it starts off with two straight losses there. You know, a 27-18 loss to the BC Lions, then a very close 30-27 to game uh, that they fall to the Argos in week eight. Uh, really this middle section of the season, a lot of very close games here because next one, week nine, you go to overtime, a thrilling overtime win over the Ticats. I know that game had one of the, probably one of the best finishes of any game all season. Mm-hmm. Uh, CFL overtime rules, they're fun. Uh, oh, isn't, yes. that, isn't that relevant, Trey? Oh yeah, very <laughs> much so. <laughs> uh, they follow that up uh, week 10 uh, with a, then that you've got week 10 and 11 back-to-back games against the aforementioned red blacks. These ones a little bit closer, a 20 to 16 win and a 27 to, 
to 16 win. Uh, and then we round out this middle six games of the schedule with a 37-16 win over the Argos. So, uh, you know, at this point, coming into the middle point of the season, a 2-2 two and two record, you start off with two losses there, but then rattle off uh, four straight wins, and things are uh, looking pretty good there for the Alouettes. Uh, what, what stood out to you from some of these games here in the middle? Well, obviously the games in the middle, the one, especially the, you know, the one in – in Hamilton was the overtime game. People need to remember that, you know, VA was knocked out of the game early on because he, he got, his ankle got rolled up and he was able to come back and, you know, being able to speak to VA later, later on in the season, it's like, you know, dude, I don't see how you did it. He says, well, the trainers did what they needed to do, but man, I was hurting after the game. And I can understand because if anybody watched I didn't see any way, but Schultz did well. People keep forgetting that, that Schultz came in and was able to, you know, help until VA came back in. Um, you know, Ottawa, Ottawa's Ottawa. <laughs> but the thing is, it's, you know, it was 20 to 16 at home. This is an Ottawa team where they weren't very good. Um, but yeah, it's BC and Toronto. Again, you come off a 51 point win. And then you only put up, you only put up 18 the next week. So that's, you know, you get, you don't, it's what a 30, 33 point difference. Something's wrong. And again, it was Vernon, Jekyll and Hyde Vernon. Um, yeah. And then obviously we're heading into the, uh, we're heading into the next section once, once VA, you know, once VA does get hurt completely, you know, and he's out for the year, but we'll, we'll be getting to that, but it, it's frustrating. It was frustrating as an Al fan, especially with 14, only 14 games in the season. Yeah, it's that of all years, and I'm sure as you know, 2021 was the year that you really need to get it going or you're going to be left behind real quick. Yeah, and, and you know, you mentioned that game against BC and right after that four touchdown game against the uh, the Red Blacks, here's VA 44.4% completion percentage, two interceptions, <laughs> no touchdowns. Yeah. Literally the Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, now this middle, uh, I believe it was this middle chunk of the season where uh, I say that, you know, William Stanback really got going, but I guess, I guess, you know, that was pretty much the entire season because he was dominant throughout, but I know some of these matchups... pe pe people forget about, he, he was out. Remember he, what he did this year, he only did with, uh, he only did with, was it 12 games this year or 11 so. games? He missed, he missed a couple of... Uh, he missed the he there. missed that the previous weeks versus uh, Ottawa because of that shellacking of them because of uh, a food poisoning. Right. Yeah, what a what a weird way to miss a game. And then and then I think he also uh, had another game. He got got some time off during there ribs. as well. Ribs, yeah. With a rib injury. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we saw a couple of those games, you know, especially that week 12 one, I think it was, that rounded out this, uh, this stretch of the season where he ran for 203 yards and a touchdown. One of the best uh, running back performances, if not the best of the season across mm -hmm. the league. I mean... It's, it's so it feels like it's so easy when you have a guy like William Stanback at your disposal to be able to you know if you can get ahead in a game like this just run the ball down the throat mm -hmm. and that seemed like well, that's what they did in that week 12 game particularly uh where it was just like let's just give them the ball over and over for the majority of this game but uh he certainly wasn't the only standout player on this team uh 
in, in the slightest, uh, you know, particularly if we stay on the offensive side of the, the things uh, as we're in kind of the middle chunk of the season here, it really clearly became the two horse race at receiver of Jake Weineke and Eugene Lewis being the two mm-hmm. go-to guys at receiver here. Uh, fantastic players um, just leading the charge, dominating week in and week out, you know, Winicky, I think what had eight touchdowns in the first nine or 10 games of the season, tying his total from 2019. I mean, uh, just talk a little bit about that dynamic duo, I guess, uh, of Winicky and, uh, Eugene Lewis. Oh, it's great to have, and, and we can't, you know, we can't be remiss if we don't, you know, cause he was knocked out because of, uh, of being hurt. It was uh, BJ, BJ Cunningham. Um, but I, I having these guys has just been a, a blessing. I mean, Gino, his roots going back, uh, you know, uh, playing in college ball. I mean, uh, and trying to try to determine what you know with the fam issues that he had, and trying to determine how he's going to play his career. And and and, and Jay Quinnicky, I think, just came out of nowhere as we seems to be, you know, in the CFL. These guys just come out of nowhere. Um, it's, it, I just love it. it you know, and the, the Alouettes did this. You know, these guys are still the number one and number two guys, even though the Alouettes were really hurting on the offensive line because, you know, even though we were going through the stretch, uh, the stretcher in, in the middle half of the season, the O-line was just being decimated this season and not having, having a quarterback that's not, uh, not really playing that well throughout the entire season, you know, at hundred percent seemed to be, you know, all 60 minutes. I think we were just lucky to have, to have them at play as well as they did this year, considering uh, three different, three different starting quarterbacks this season. So. You got to give real credit to that offensive line, especially with them hurting. Like you said, you know, Mm -hmm. this is like all the talk throughout the struggle years for the Owls was on the rotation at quarterback, the rotation at coach, but a lot of it, I think also was just the rotation at offensive line and, and no consistency, particularly there. Uh, I, I would say the Alouettes, uh outside of maybe the Bombers was one of the top offensive lines in the CFL this mm-hmm. season. Uh, particularly, I know in terms of crunching the fantasy stats, they were one of the teams that gave up the least on average to defenses all season. Uh, it felt like, you know, guys weren't getting through for sacks. You know, yes, VA did have his, his turnovers here and there, but uh, they they certainly weren't the worst in the world. Uh, so some big credit to the offensive line for that. Um, and, and I kind of want to talk about the defensive side of the ball here because a lot of the focus we've had so far has been offense, offense, offense. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the Alouettes have had one of the most underrated defenses this season as well. I, I think, you know, the, wasn't it one of these games against Ottawa, 10 sacks uh, against Caleb Evans, I think, in one of those games? Like, yep. that is not an easy feat in its own right. Uh, no, and in and, and all honesty, I don't think that this 2021 defense was, was, was as good as they were in 2019. I really don't think because some, I think some people had off years, you know. Um, but, you know, they, they just did, they did really, really well, you know, considering – Considering what they're, you know, they're on the field, I think a lot more than they wanted to be. But yeah, I'll, I'll give the defense props. You know, they they kept us in games, especially when we couldn't score for whatever reason. But um, that's going back. You know what? With the loss of John Bowman, et cetera. I mean, it's playing as well as we did. You know, it's nice to see that 
the defense, Montreal's defense is now a part of the equation. Rather, it is just the offense that is a part of the equation here in Montreal. So, yeah, and a lot of consistency I found throughout the season as well, just looking at the depth charts where it seemed like, like you know, pretty healthy for the most part on the defensive side of the ball. You have the, the same group of starters week in and week out building that chemistry there, which in a shortened season like this, after two years off, certainly helps. I, mm-hmm. I think there is no coincidence, you know, the team that ended up going on to win the Great Cup, the Bombers, was one of the most uh, healthy teams throughout the season, really mm-hmm. didn't have too many injuries. Uh, of course, Montreal did have a couple of the notable ones like Vernon Adams Jr., like BJ Cunningham, as we've talked about. Uh, but by and large, I think they also had some good health uh, that helped them out uh, at specific positions this season. And uh, yeah, I think the defense did have a good, good impact there, especially as we talked about you know, a lot of these games in the middle chunk of the season being uh, real close contests here. Um, one of the things that I think was uh, was maybe on more on the disappointing side for the Alouettes throughout this season was the uh, the return game on yes. special teams because it, it seemed like it was returned by committee and every time the, they found the next man up, he either got injured or played. No, he, got, he, he got injured. <laughs> <laughs> he got injured after losing Alfred uh, uh, after he had the, the, the leg injury, I think week two, I think it was. It's yeah. The house just didn't do well at all. And it was, it was, it was either a wide receiver that, that was doing it. Uh, or defensive back that was that was doing it, um, you know, bringing in some other players to the roster. It it just didn't it just didn't pan out. And as we know in the CFL, if you you really got to at least try to get to where your team would start if you you know you just took the ball thirty five. If you can't get at least up to the thirty five, then I think you're going to have some problems. And the Owls did for sure all season, all season. Yeah, quite the rotation week in and week out. You had a couple of defensive backs in there returning kicks. You had some guys brought in as kick returners. I believe Marquise mm-hmm. Jackson brought in at some point during the season as well. Uh, one of those positions that I'm excited to see the most, I think, for Montreal is how this shapes out for 2022 with uh, Jeff Reinbold coming over as the special teams coordinator and seeing what coming back, coming, coming back. back. Yes. Yeah and seeing uh, what kind of impact he may have on that position. Uh, in the, la- the last couple of games of this middle chunk of the season are where we see Matt Schultz take over as the starter after Vernon Adams goes down due to injury. Mm-hmm. Um, what were your expectations for him coming into his uh, first couple starts here? Because, uh, you know, this is a guy that's been around with the team for quite some time, has, of course, been in the rotation of, oh, maybe he's going to be the starter while they were still trying to find their quarterback, but uh, has never really got starting time uh, with Montreal. Uh, I thought he looked not too bad in his first couple games here. This this is the norm for Montreal football. If you go back and you see when AC, uh, Anthony Calvillo was our quarterback, you rarely see the backup quarterback came in, you know, whether it was uh, – you know, Adrian McPherson just doing third down or short yardage stuff or, or whoever it may have been. That's been, I think, the downfall really of the Alouettes organization is not having a, a, ba- a real good backup quarterback. I've loved Schultz ever since he's gotten here. And I think it's, it was it was deserved time that he actually got a start. It, you know, just happened to be at Adam, Ver, you know, Vernon Adams' expense. But uh, I, you know, you could not, he came in 
early on, I think in that shellacking to Ottawa on the one play, he got sacked in the end zone for a safety. Uh, I reached, I was talking to somebody on social media and I said, what's going on? And the person said to me, well, you know, Schultz just isn't really that good. I think that really wasn't a fair assessment. Um, I think Schultz did quite well in, in all of his starts when he came in. It's just, you know, then they signed Harris and that's a whole other story. But I, I was I was really impressed with what Schultz did. Uh, by that third game, I, I they really think the, the the with the O-line being as hurt as it was, I think that really did hurt uh, Schultz and how he was going to be able to perform. But uh, I love Schultz. Schultz. Schultz, you know, it's funny. If you watch Schiltz and Vernon throw the ball, Schiltz really, I think, in my opinion, has a lot tighter spiral on his ball hmm. than, than than VA does. Um, but VA has his legs that he can that he can go he can use just in case. Schiltz, he isn't that fast, but I mean, it's I, I was I was okay. I'm not at that point where maybe Calgary was as an example, or some of the other teams in in the league where you have your your backup quarterback who has no experience. Jill's had experience. He just needed to be able to, to prove that he could play. Yeah, I, I have such an appreciation for a guy that, uh, you know, sticks around in a backup role with a, with a team for as long as he has, you know, a number of years here and kind of, you know, working up, getting more experience and working your way to, you know, it's the CFL. Quarterbacks get injured. Eventually, you are going to get your shot mm-hmm. at some point or another here. Such an appreciation. Uh, so it was exciting to see Schultz get an opportunity there to be the guy uh, down the stretch as it seemed at the time but of course as we shift into the the final chunk of the regular season uh, which starts off with a week 13 game against Saskatchewan where Schultz gets the start ends up I think leaving with an injury halfway through the game uh, but right before this one I believe is when they make the trade with Edmonton to bring in Trevor Harris at quarterback Antonio Simmons I believe was the piece that went back the other direction yeah um what were your thoughts on the trade for Trevor Harris at this point? And, and, and by the way, this happened right before the home game versus Saskatchewan, if I remember correctly, because after VA went down, they needed somebody else. Um, in my opinion, this was still Schultz's team. It was Schultz's team until other, otherwise, until otherwise told or, or as whatever, whoever, whoever was going to told we were going to start. It was Schultz's team. You know, Harris was a hired gun coming in to help this team because we needed a, a an experienced quarterback. Um, I, you know, <laughs> you have a $400,000 backup quarterback and you also have your starter who is, who's making about the same amount of money. So I, you know, I was happy with Schiltz. It needed to be Schiltz's team until it wasn't Schiltz's team. And as we found out, versus Saskatchewan it, after that it ended up not being Schultz's team <laughs> yeah yeah of course right after they make the trade that's when Schultz uh, gets that injury and uh, it's Harris's uh, ball the rest of the season pretty much uh, from there on out my I, I was much the same way at the time you know I thought it was not a bad deal for for Montreal to make you know Tonio Simmons did look good on that defensive line mm-hmm. you hate to lose a piece like that but uh, they had, uh, you know, somebody step up, uh, was it Jamal Davis? I believe it stepped up into his starting role. A, a few did. A few did. Yeah. A, a few did. Even, even David Menard, a guy who never started, he started one game for the Alouettes this year and he ended up being the, the Eastern, you know, the Eastern nominee for, uh, for player of the year. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> that was, or, that sorry, was defensive player of the year. 
that was insane to me uh, that, you know, a, a guy with one start that ends up as the nominee, but he played well. Uh, in, all in the more the reason game. why he should have won defensive player of the year. That That's all I'm going to say. I'm biased. <laughs> I know, but look that, come on. Doesn't that say it all? Look at that, how many sacks he had and he had the team yeah. in sacks and he only started one game. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. If you can make that much of an impact with uh, one start and in a backup role, uh, you definitely deserve the nomination and perhaps, yeah. you know, maybe deserve more starts along the way. But and, uh, and by the way, we're talking about Schiltz and Harris. I know he was pulled. People say he was hurt. I say he was air quote hurt, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I'm just that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> I, I don't I don't theory I don't think I don't think Schiltz was as hurt as they say he was. And and it all had to do it and it all had to do with money. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Like you said, four hundred thousand dollar backup quarterback yeah. at that point, right? Like, yeah, like that—that's the way the money unfortunately plays into things at times. Yeah. Uh, you know, Schultz did still get the start in that game. Uh, I think you know wasn't moving the ball too well either no. at that point. No. So then, perfect time to bring Trevor Harris in. He comes in, uh, doesn't look too bad in his first uh, first you know half or so of football in an Alouettes uniform. Uh, you know, 80% completion percentage, throws a touchdown pass, but over 100 yards uh, there in that first start. Uh, but they still they, lose. But, they still, but lose. they still lose. They do fall to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, 1914. Then we get into kind of a weird bit of the schedule there because Montreal is still very much in a heated East Division playoff race. Mm-hmm. But they're playing the Bombers in back-to-back games who at that <laughs> point are, you know, I think the first game Winnipeg still played everybody in that game. Yeah. But the second one. Uh, it was basically all the starters were on the bench. So they lose the first one, 20 or 31 to 21. Uh, then they beat the Bombers 28 14 in the rematch in week 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in week 16, uh, the final game of the regular season, there, a 1918 loss to the Red Blacks that uh, Tim's waving me off here, telling me we're not even going to talk about that. One. I don't so, know. I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I understand it's hard enough to even in the NFL and even in any pro sports or any sports, it's hard to beat a team four times, but come on. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe in 2022, they play him four times again. So who knows? Yeah. So, I mean, the final four games here is a bit of a weird section of the schedule. You're in that tight playoff race, obviously not. I think the results you're looking for a one and three finish to the regular season for this team. Uh, you know, you have that close game with Saskatchewan. Then from there, we we know Vernon, uh, sorry, not Vernon Adams. Uh, Trevor Harris is going to be the starter uh, going into the matchup with Winnipeg, which we all know how his previous games in an Elks uniform went against Winnipeg. Not a lot of confidence coming into that one, I think. But I, I got to give Montreal credit in that game because the Bombers did still have a number of their starters. I thought the Alouettes played pretty darn well in that game and, and you know we're one of the toughest tests that i think the bombers had all season long uh, yeah, it, was cl- it was close to the fourth it literally was close until the fourth quarter yeah and then if you're not winning by enough in the fourth quarter you're, yeah. you're doomed against bombers but yeah um you know not a lot of passing touchdowns that team had given up this season trevor harris throws for two including i, I believe this is one where at the start of the third quarter a nice long touchdown drive that uh you know, I remember being at this game here in Winnipeg and being like, oh boy, uh, you know, this, this might go off the rails here if, uh, if 
the Alouettes can pull that one out in the uh, the latter half of the game. But a strong performance there kind of made you think, you know, as they're jockeying for position in the Eastern playoff mm-hmm. race, a lot of people having the Bombers going to the Grey Cup, you know, is this a potential Grey Cup matchup we're seeing here? And certainly showed their own that it would be a fun matchup if it was. Um, what were your kind of thought? What were your thoughts on uh, some of these games here in the latter portion of the so season? I, I felt it, obviously, I think like everybody else, those back to back brutal. It was the, the it was the, I think it's probably the the hardest back to back in any late season that I've seen the Alouettes have to play in quite a long time because you know if you go back and you see the Alouettes in their history when it comes to games playing games for first place. Cause remember people need to remember the owls technically were in first place at one point this season in 2021. So they just have a tendency of not playing well in games when it comes to playing, you know, for first place, depending on be the, you know, the team that they're playing for first place for, or, or in another matchup for first place, they were tough. I was very, I was honestly expecting the owls to get blown out in that first game. Um, but to be able to, you know, I think it, it was 10 points in the third Was it 10 points in the fourth that, that yeah. outdid it. I think yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So they played well, and I think they underplayed, even though they won against Winnipeg the next week, I think they really underplayed, uh, what they were going to do. But I think I really, at that point, it was determined what was going to happen. I mean, the Alouettes could have made it by some miraculous NFL weird thing like happened recently in that last year, you know, that last week of the NFL season, like the Pittsburgh Steelers made the playoffs. Um, it was, they, they needed a win and they already knew it was done with because I think after the, the, the Toronto game, Toronto uh, had already won, if I'm not mistaken. So they, it was a moot point. So I think that kind of deflated the team going in, but they still, they should have won. They, they, yeah. It was just, a, it was just a half-ass game versus, versus Ottawa and, uh, blowing the lead that they did. I think they didn't score. A, yeah, they didn't score a point in the second half. You're not going to win if you don't score a point in the second half. <laughs> no. And, and this is a team, people need to remember, this is a team that led the league in many offensive categories despite their quarterback situation and what happened with the O-line. Yeah, that final game against Ottawa. So I believe first place was out of grasp at, at the point of that game. As soon as Toronto, Toronto had, yeah, Toronto had been beaten by uh, a Toronto uh, beat BC. And we, we knew right there that, yeah. Yeah. And then I think there was still the jockeying for the home playoff game between Montreal and Hamilton. Montreal played first on the Friday night. Hamilton playing, yep. I think it was Saskatchewan in the final week of the season, yep. but you knew that you knew the riders were going to rest everybody. Yeah. So kind of the discussion point I remember with this game against Ottawa was, okay, well, you have a chance at home playoff game here, but Montreal would have to beat Ottawa and then Hamilton would have to lose to Saskatchewan. Now, I believe it was early in this game that you had William Stanback, who seemed like he was playing well in, yeah. in you know, the, the start of this game gets pulled because I know you want to keep them healthy for the playoffs. Totally get that. Um, and then, you know, I, Jeshron Antwi comes in as the starting running back, I believe maybe fumbled the ball a couple of times here along the way. And, and the Alouettes, you yep. know, they go on to lose this game. And I know a what? lot of the discussion was, should they have left stand back in here to try to go for the home playoff game? And I'm trying to remember, I believe my take on that here on the podcast was kind of, well, 
Hamilton, are they really going to lose to Saskatchewan on Saturday? Was this kind of better off, you know, rest and making sure Stanback's ready to go come playoff time, thinking your chances of a home playoff game are a little slim here based on needing to wait for Hamilton. I feel like they kind of made the right decision here to, to rest him. What do you think? Uh, there were there were some murmurs potentially that Stanback uh, may have been on a, a rush count, and also he may have tweaked something. I, I don't know if that was actually true or not. Um, but I, I think, you know, if they had beaten Ottawa, it would have put a little bit of pressure on Hamilton. I, I think all you need is pressure, and any, and as you know, anything can happen. So was it the right thing to do? Yes. Do I wish that they wouldn't have done it? Yes, because Antwi's fumble. I think it was like five minutes left in the fourth quarter uh, with it driving in Ottawa territory that sealed the game right there. That, that was it. You know, Ottawa drove down, weren't being stopped by the Owls defense. And then the two point convert, which was a ballsy move, but Hey, it's football. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you you got to take a chance at times and uh, mm-hmm. sometimes it does not pay off. They do not get the home playoff game, but they do face, they do clinch a playoff spot. They do face the Ticats in that East Division semifinal as we move into that now. Uh, a game that starts off, uh, first of all, a, a very snowy game, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, you know, a terrible weather game always makes for interesting football. And uh, it starts off all of a sudden everything in the Alouette's direction, it seems, early on in this game until – uh, I believe it was a fumble recovery uh, that uh, really turned the tide of this game. It was kind of a common theme, uh, both in the East semifinal and the East final, where, you know, other team jumped out to an early lead, let the Ticats back into the game, and then mm-hmm. they, they stepped on the gas and never looked back from there. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this 23-12 to loss to the Ticats in the East semifinal? How did this fall apart? Alouettes dominated in the first, you know, they had a chance at scoring more than three points, but unfortunately it was just three points. And then they scored nothing in the second quarter, uh, aided by, I think it was a scoop and score. I think it was a scoop and score by, by Hamilton, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, but just then the Alouettes couldn't do anything. They, again, their nemesis for Stanbeck this year, even though they had both um, uh, Cameron Artist Payne and Stanbeck in the backfield, car- I know. Uh, artist painted nothing. I hardly got any touches, and just like throughout the year, Stanbeck was just stopped. Like, you know, he was just going up like a, a brick wall in the uh, Hamilton defense, so they couldn't get anything done. And uh, the, it was it was over by halftime. <laughs> it would the uh, the, uh, the way that they were playing, and you know, just for the way that it was over the last three games prior in the regular season. Um. You know, Trevor Harris did not look like a $400,000 starting quarterback, in my opinion. He got one good game uh, in the win. Um, but other than that, you know, he, he was just there to try. He just didn't have any magic. It wasn't going to be the same Trevor Harris that came into Montreal in 2019 with Edmonton and knocked us off. It wasn't the same Trevor Harris, so. And that was a thing I know I had suggested coming into the playoff game is don't discredit Trevor Harris in the playoffs because we had seen him time and time again in the past, you know, always a quarterback that not too many people think of as a, as an elite quarterback. And then out of nowhere, will prove you wrong with an elite game and then fall Mm -hmm. back into his regular, you know, pattern uh, of good game, bad game, Trevor Harris. 
which I think we saw at times throughout this season. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a big point of this game. I know was the turnovers there as well that really turned the tide of things. I think the discipline started to fall off the off the cart, so to say, at, at this point as well. You know, yeah. over 100 yards of penalties. Um, that, that was throughout the regular season. It, 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 special teams penalties were just an utter joke. <laughs> so definitely a uh, a position to focus on this off season. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. With uh, with Jeff Reinbold coming in at, back as the uh, the special teams coordinator, we'll see what they all do there. So the season ends unfortunately with that twenty three twelve loss in the East semifinal to the Tie Cats. Overall take on the outcome of the season, uh, seven, seven, seven and seven regular season, you know, first round playoff loss, uh, probably not exactly what, you know, you were hoping for, of course. Um, but what's your overall thoughts on this season? Was it a positive where it was a more of a negative, uh, in comparison to your preseason predictions? Uh, what were your thoughts? I think it, to me, it was just a pretty mediocre season. I mean, it was tough. Obviously I know all teams, some of the teams that do the exact same thing with how the, with all the social distancing and, and, and who was allowed in stadium and stuff like that. I know the team tried to, to feed off that energy and um, just certain things this season, VA going down injuries on the offensive line, uh, you know, our, you know, our rented QB just not doing as well as we thought he would. Um, I, I was disappointed. I honestly think that this team, I think it should have been a second place team. Uh, I honestly thought that they would have been a, uh, either an eight and six team or an, or nine and five, something around there. And I think some of the games earlier in the season, they had just turned those around. They could have been again, this team led the league in many offensive categories, I think including uh, points per game, if I'm not mistaken. So it's, it was just, I think it was just frustrating overall. I, I think if we can get VA back for an entire season, but I mean, there is a, there is a plus though, you know, guys go down, you know, if it was, um, you know, if it wasn't for Reggie white jr. As an example, we would not have known how good a wide receiver he is if BJ hadn't gone down. So there are some plus coming out of these negatives, but it's, you know, it was a mediocre seven and 17. That's it, it was a disappointment, but I mean, it's, not everybody can go, you know, undefeated throughout the season, no matter what Ryan in Calgary thinks. <laughs> I feel like we, I feel like I have this brought up every every time uh, we do one of these deep dives. Preseason expectations. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure that uh, next year will be another 18 and 0 season. Um, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. My my take is much the same. Disappointing season because I think all the talent is there for this team, uh, and then to have that kind of 500 season, I, I think they could have been better than they ended up, uh, you know, delivering. Uh, but like you said, I think there were some definite positives to come out of it. You know, Reggie White Jr. was a guy we hadn't really talked about yet. That I'm glad yeah. you brought up because uh, he was he was definitely a bright spot there. And uh, interesting to see how things evolve there because we talked about that two-horse race uh, of Eugene Lewis and Jake Winicky, And uh, it seemed like down the stretch, you know, a guy like uh, Reggie White Jr. Uh, seemed to be, you know, starting to contribute and kind of steer things maybe a little more spread wide uh, throughout the receiving core there for the Alouettes. And a number of guys on both sides of the ball having themselves fantastic seasons as well as we 
take a super quick look here kind of at the off season before we wrap things up and what's to come so far this off season, you know, they started things off real strong with bringing back VA and bringing back Eugene Lewis uh, on contract extensions uh, to start the off season. Uh, VA brought back on, on a two year extension. You love to see that. Uh, David Brown brought back for two more years. Najee Murray brought back two more years. Uh, the aforementioned Trevor Harris, uh, released by the team. Uh, no surprise there once Vernon Adams is signed. Not, no, not, not when they owe him what they did in Jan for his January bonus. No, there's yeah. no way he was staying. Uh, David Foucault uh, also released. Uh, they make some change, you know, some personnel changes along the way as well. Uh, they do make a, a couple days ago, I believe, a trade with Edmonton uh, to bring in Mike Moore on the defensive mm -hmm. line and sending uh, Tony Washington, Martis Jackson back the other direction. Um, I believe, you know, some more transactions in the past couple of days as well. Nick well, we got, Usher. we got, we got Mar Mary Alford back. So we got, you know, he seems to be, he, he is healed to get Nick Usher back. Um, you know, uh, Tony Washington has been released. He was, you know, he was one of the, I think one of the last few guys from the, uh, from the Manziel trade, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it's, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm so far so good. There's still a lot of pieces though coming up, especially with uh, with free agency. So it's uh, it's gonna be an interesting uh, next couple of months for sure. Yeah, the, a couple of good moves so far. I think, like you said, um, what what to you with free agency kicking off February eighth? We're about two weeks from there at this point. What is the main focus you're looking for from Montreal this off season uh, from them? Oh, wow, it's. I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping that the Alouettes keep their core on defense as much as possible. Um, there are a lot of big name. Actually, that's well, like any team this year. You know, three, you know, three quarters of the roster are free agents. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm curious because I really think that the team's going to lose BJ Cunningham. In my opinion, uh, I don't think they're going to resign him. Uh, just based on who they currently, you know, as I say, with the emergence of uh, Reggie White uh, of Junior. Uh, picking up uh, Fabian Guerra coming back. Uh, he could also help with the wide receiver and also return game if necessary. Um, so it's, it's, I think, get some backups to help the Alouettes on the O-line because I think that's where it hurt the most. Um, I think it'll be very interesting to see what they do for the, in the draft too because with Danny Machocha, we know he, he loves them Quebec boys. So it's... <laughs> um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, but it's, it's just like everybody else. I think we're okay at quarterback. We're okay at wide receiver. I think we need some slight modifications on the O-line. Um, but, and I'm, I'm hoping, hoping that they keep the, uh, the, uh, the, the core of the defense intact. Yeah. One of the few, I, I would argue the Alouette's one of the few teams that uh, doesn't need to do any tinkering at all at the quarterback position, which is kind of nice because, mm -hmm. uh, they are well set with their starter in Vernon Adams Jr. You got your backup in Matt Schultz. I yeah, well, Matt, remember Matt Schultz is a free agent too, though. Is so he okay? okay? He is. He is. So it's very. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We will see. Uh, sorry, I was under the impression he wasn't. Uh, sometimes he wasn't weird. on the list. He wasn't on the list as put up by the CFL. Actually, he was on the list originally, if I'm not mistaken. But then Herb Zerkowski, uh, the Montreal Gazette, pointed out that even though he's not listed, yes. Matt Schultz is a free agent. You gotta love it. Yeah. 
makes uh, producing content very easy and simple. Oh, yes, <laughs> for sure. Uh, so a uh, number of free agents on the list, uh, potentially more not on the list. Uh, we'll see how <laughs> things look for the Alouettes uh, as they head into uh, free agency on February 8th, and then they head into uh, training, the draft, training camp, et cetera, and get ready to go for the 2022 season, looking to bounce back and uh, have a better season and uh, hopefully a further uh, deep dive into the playoffs as well. This kind of wraps up our 2021 season deep dive on the Alouettes. Uh, Tim, of course, I want to thank you for taking the past hour or so to, to chat through this all with me. It's been an absolute blast uh, getting to go through all of this. Uh, but as we wrap things up here, uh, where can people find your podcast and uh, anything else you've got going on? Uh, you can find us over at uh, alouettesflightdeck.ca. That's where you can see all of our, uh, all six seasons of, of the podcast. Um, if you want to follow me, you can do so on Twitter at, uh, at Repact. That's R-E-P-P-A-C-T. You can also follow the Flight Deck on Twitter also at, um, on Twitter too. And that's at Alouettes FL Tech. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on uh, Facebook. Um, we're also on this newest podcast, this newest mini podcasting, it seems to be like a, um, I'm trying to remember, what was the, anyways, it's 15 second, uh, 15 second uh, audio highlights on iLily. That's what it's called. And you can follow Cliff and I on that also. Sometimes that will pop up on our, uh, on our social media feed, but uh, uh, just do a search for Alouette's Flight Deck and you'll find us almost anywhere, including YouTube. Right on, right on. And of course, the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network as well. Uh, make sure you check out all of the other great shows from around the network at CF Pod Network on Twitter. Uh, for our podcast, you can find us on Twitter at CF Countdown Pod. You can also find us on Facebook, uh, whatever podcast platform you're currently listening on. Uh, we'd appreciate it if you do all of the nice, fun things that help us grow the show, such as leaving a review or a rating, a friendly comment along the way, maybe even sharing the show with your friends. Uh, we greatly appreciate that. Um, I mentioned where you can find us on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Cooper Trooper 42. That starts with a K. Uh, if you're interested in CFL fantasy content, you can check that out on YouTube, the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix. I run a weekly show over there uh, going through the fantasy positional previews during the season. And of course, uh, off season, not really much fantasy wise to talk about, but fun CFL content there along the way as well. So check that out. Follow me on Twitter for more info on that. That wraps it up for this edition of the 2021 Deep Dive series. Stay tuned uh, for which team we'll be talking about next week as we continue it along. And then we're getting right into free agency from there. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, for Tim Capper, I'm Ryan Coop saying thanks for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs>